Well, good morning, everybody. Um, good morning. N- nice to see you all. Uh, thank you for your kind invitation uh, to be here with you this morning. Um, you may know I was supposed to be with you a few a few weeks ago now, maybe about a month ago now, uh, but unfortunately I caught COVID uh, at that time, so I wasn't able to, to come with you. Thankfully, somebody else stepped in at the last minute. And in some way, I'm glad I'm able to repay the favor this morning uh, and to step in and, uh, and to bring you what God had laid on my heart to share with you already. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Stephen. Uh, I'm married. My wife is called Mary. And we have an 11-month-old daughter called Maria, who's lots of fun, and I'm sure she's wrecking crash right now downstairs. Um, I'm involved with a mission organization called GLOW, um, so if you're available to come along tonight, um, you can find out more about that, that mission organization that we're involved with as well. Um, you may already be picking up from my accent that I'm originally from Northern Ireland, that's where I was born. Uh, however, I was brought up and spent most of my life in Italy as a, as a missionary kid, uh, and then now I've lived in Scotland for almost 14 years. Um, so I hardly li- really lived in Ireland. I've kept some of the accent. So my accent is a wee bit all over the place. You'll have to forgive me for that. Feel free to ask somebody later if, if they picked up what I was saying. That's okay. Uh, one of the things that's strange for me, in some ways I still feel Italian and culturally especially, and uh, it's strange for me the celebrations that were happening over the last few weeks with the Queen's Jubilee. That was a bit unusual for me, um, seeing it over here. And uh, one thing was, was for sure, that the people that you met in the street and who talked about the Queen, they all had lots of nice words to say about the Queen. And uh, they were all, in a sense, like ambassadors for the Queen, saying how good she was, what kind of person she was, and then remembering the kinds of words that she has said at key moments in life. And uh, it was like everybody was an ambassador for the Queen. And in some ways, whenever we're here gathered this morning on a, on a Sunday, it's like we're ambassadors for the King of Kings, isn't it? It's somebody that we know and we want to tell you all about this person. We want to tell you all about God. More than that, we want to say what he said. And particularly with regards to Jesus, we're able to do that because of the Gospels. So this morning we're, we're parking for a bit uh, Romans. Um, I'll let whoever's next to, to continue that series. And we're going to dip back into the Gospels and have a look at what Jesus had to say about himself and what we can say then about him. I want to share with you from, from John's Gospel. Um, so if you have a Bible, please open it to John's Gospel. And there's a particular set of sayings of Jesus that is recorded in the Gospel of John. You may be familiar with that. Um, John was one of Jesus' closest followers. And seven times in this book of the Bible, John says sentences about Jesus, or Jesus saying these sentences, that begin with the two words, I am. The two words, I am. Of course, that's picking up something that is in the Older Testament, the older part of the Bible, where God introduces himself to Moses, and he says something like, my name is I am. Or I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. So Jesus obviously picks that up whenever he's revealing himself uh, to the people of his generation. He says, I am, followed by something. 
Jesus uses these, these two words and he's kind of revealing himself as God to the people. So far in the Gospel of John, some of the things that Jesus has said is, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door and the gate. I am the good shepherd. This morning I will focus on the fifth one of those, which is Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life. And then beyond that, Jesus will go on to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then I am the true vine. None of those are things that we can just respond to lightly, are they? None of those are, well, Jesus, that's nice for you. These things are pretty bold statements that Jesus says about himself. So if you have a Bible, you might want to keep it open in the Gospel of John, chapter 11. It may also come up on the screen behind me. Uh, And we have this sentence that Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, bang in the middle of a story. It's an episode in the life of Jesus. Something happens and then Jesus in the middle of this says, I am the resurrection and the life. It's uh, the account, it's it's an episode uh, where this word death shows up 11 times. Maybe the word death or the verb to die or the adjective dead. All that's repeated 11 times in this story. And in the middle of that, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. As we get older, it's inevitable that words about death form more and more part of our, of our own life. Sometimes even younger people are confronted with the tragedy of death. Um, one clear example of that right now is, of course, what's going on in Ukraine. War in the world shows us the tragedy of death when it shouldn't be here. Whether we admit it or not, death is the background to our own lives. It's the enemy of our life. From the moment that we're conceived, we have two fundamentals. We have life and we have death. That's it. Death is the enemy of our life. It's the ultimate parasite. It's the ultimate thief It's the one certainty of everything that lives to die. Death is a lament, becomes a chorus in our lives that keeps coming back. We keep hearing it in our lives again and again. Sometimes it's just like hummed quietly in our lives and distressing. But sometimes it just screams in our face, doesn't it? It breaks our heart in a million pieces. It leaves us feeling empty. It leaves a kind of darkness inside. And it leaves us just with tears. Against a background of death, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Do we dare believe those words? So let's have a look at this passage. What we'll do is we'll just walk through it and try and immerse ourselves in the story, try and be there in this real episode in the life of Jesus and uh, see what this word, these words mean in this context. So John chapter 11 from verse 1. Now a certain man was ill. His name is Lazarus and he's from a village called Bethany. Some of us here today are ill. Some of us who can't be here today are ill. And there's little in this world 
that shows us this kind of cracked line of our existence. That shows us death like illness. There's two sisters who are also from Bethany. We have Mary and we have Martha. In chapter 12, there's Mary who will pour expensive oil on Jesus' dusty feet and will wipe them with her hair. Her love for Jesus is quite literally a sweet perfume. The Middle East was and still is a culture marked by this kind of generous hospitality, outrageous personal, uh, uh, hospitality. It's also a culture of honour and shame. And uh, it's interesting in chapter 13 of John, so chapter 12, Mary anoints Jesus' feet. Chapter 13 of John, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. Jesus, the teacher, washes the feet of his disciples. He is shamed so that they may be honoured. He lowers himself so that they may be lifted up. And that's what Mary was like. She wanted to lift Jesus up. She was willing to be lowered herself to lift Jesus up. Some of us here today are Marys. You love Jesus. You want to lift Jesus up in your life. Sometimes even others make fun of you for how much you want to lift Jesus up in your life. Lazarus is the brother of Mary and Martha. He's ill. So the sisters sent to Jesus saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Whoever this Jesus is, and there's something about him in this title, Lord, that they use. Whoever he is, Mary and Martha had enough evidence to say that Jesus loved their brother. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. This illness points somewhere. Where does it point to? Well, surely like all illness, it should point to death, shouldn't it? That's what we've been saying. Death is the certainty. Everybody who dies, dies from some sort of illness. But Jesus says, this is going to point to me. And it's going to point to God. And actually, you're not going to blame God because of this. You will glorify God because of this. Jesus loved not only Lazarus, but also Martha and her sister. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Where was he? Well, chapter 10 tells us that he was in a place where John the Baptist, you might have heard that name, used to baptize people. And people were coming to Jesus in this place. In fact, it says many people were coming to Jesus. And many believed in Jesus. He stayed two days. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. That's the region where Bethany is. The disciples said to Jesus, teacher, we were just there. The Jews in Judea were going to stone you. The reason they were going to do that was because they thought Jesus was claiming to be God, which wasn't far from the truth. So you're going back there, Jesus? We cannot ignore that some in our world today are like these Jews who are trying to stone Jesus. Some people today want to squash Jesus. They don't want to squash the stories about him, but they definitely want to squash his claims about who he was. Because if Jesus is 
who he says he is, well, that changes a lot, doesn't it? Some of us are a bit more like the disciples. We're fairly practical. We're close to Jesus, and we want them to be a success. But our relationship with Jesus is a bit strained, because we don't always get it. Where's Jesus going? What are you doing, Jesus? You're going to Judea. That's going to lead to death. The disciples could say here, staying means success. We're getting people. People are coming. Many people are believing. Let's stay here. Some of us are maybe like the disciples. We're looking for Jesus' success. But maybe we're not prepared to follow him where he would lead us. Jesus answers, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the daylight, he's not going to stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if you walk at nighttime, you'll stumble because you're not going to have any light. I'm not sure exactly what this means, but Jesus is saying something here that there's a limited time frame. And it's not appropriate anymore for him to hide who he is. Especially since he claims to be the light of the world. And he's saying here, we walk in the light. After saying these things, he said to the disciples, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Using sleep as a metaphor of death was uncommon during the day of Jesus. Perhaps us today, we we would use that, but not in Jesus' day. So the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. He must be getting better. One side note here is they seem to just accept as a given that Jesus knows the condition of a man who's somewhere completely different. Anyway, Jesus seems to say that this Lazarus is wakeable. So Lazarus will probably wake up whether Jesus goes there or whether he doesn't. There's no need to go to Judea. That's risky. Then Jesus tells him straight, Lazarus has died. I think the point that's been made here is we're seeing death from Jesus' point of view. That old enemy, the ultimate terminal, the mortal silence, for Jesus it's but sleep. Jesus says, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Suddenly, this is not just about Lazarus, it's not just about Mary and Martha, or even the Jews. It's about the disciples, for your sake. Jesus wants their belief. Not just their practical commitment to him and to his cause, but he wants faith in him. Thomas called the twin. He still doesn't quite get it. He thinks this is still kind of practical. So he says to his fellow disciples, Let us also go then, and we're committed to the cause, we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. That illness did lead to death. Jesus, the healer, didn't heal. He didn't save a man from death, not even someone he loved. He'd been given plenty notice about it. Yet he decided to wait two days. By the time he gets there, Lazarus has been in the tomb four days. 
Bethany was about two miles from Jerusalem, the capital. That's where the kind of uh, the most religious Jews are coming from. Your kind of class A Jews. Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. The Jews were very practical people, still are. Life was about survival. Death was always the insurmountable enemy. Death is tragic in this culture here. There's nothing romanticized. There's nothing airy-fairy about death. Death is only mourned. Death is felt. It's got this kind of cruel, cold hand. And the worst thing is, that hand touches you. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. I'm not sure exactly what Martha means here, but she definitely believes two things. She believes Jesus could have healed her brother. She also believes that Jesus' prayers have some sort of unnatural, supernatural power. These prayers are always answered. Martha's own prayers were not always answered. I don't know if your prayers are always answered. Mine aren't always answered. Jesus' prayers are always answered. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha believes in some sort of future resurrection, some sort of life beyond the grave, maybe like some of you do here as well. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Whatever it is, it's a kind of distant, mysterious life after death thing that she believes. Or maybe that's what you believe, a kind of vague hope in what is in the future. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even if he dies, yet he will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? In other words, Jesus is adding himself to those fundamentals of life. Remember we said there's two fundamentals. There's life and death. Jesus says, and there's me. And there's Jesus. And actually Jesus, he says, I am the life. And when it comes to death, Jesus says, I am the resurrection. There's life and there's death and there's Jesus. I don't know which character in this story you're identifying with so far. But we can't get away um, from the fact that this sentence that Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, happens in a context of a personal conversation between Jesus and Martha. Martha is hurting, she's grieving, perhaps she's even bitter for what's happened. But she's also someone who has a personal connection with Jesus. So that question that Jesus asks her, do you believe this, is a personal question that Jesus asks to each one of us. That question, in the background of death that pervades this world, with the background of tears and those echoes of death in our life, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even if he dies, yet he will live. And everyone who lives 
and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. You are from God. You are the Son of God. You are the one who is coming into this world. In other words, you are the one that this world needs, this world full of death. You are God who is going to finally do something about this world that desperately needs saving from the power of death, the tyranny of death. When she said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, Mary rose quickly and went to him. Jesus had not yet come into Bethany, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The Jews were with Mary in the house, consoling her. When they see her rise quickly and go out, they follow her, thinking she's going to the tomb to weep there. Mary comes to where Jesus is. She sees him. She falls at those feet that she will wipe later. And she says what her sister said. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She cries. She feels the pain. The Jews are crying. That death chorus is screaming again in her face. It's mocking Mary, whose heart is completely shattered at this stage. Death is teasing Mary, is saying, He's gone. You saw him die. He was sick. You saw death suck that life slowly out of him. Out of your brother. You heard it when he was gone. You saw the hollow cold shell staring blankly, lifeless. You saw death. What a thief. What a parasite death is. How cruel. If you've experienced it, you know it hurts. And it keeps happening in this world, doesn't it? And it keeps happening to those it shouldn't happen to. God, where are you? When Jesus sees her weeping and the Jews weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Something in Jesus is absolutely fed up. He's angry. His spirit is protesting about this world and about death. He's he's fed up with death that keeps on mocking people with this cruel victory lap every time someone dies. And it's mocking Mary. Jesus says, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Some of the Jews are saying, this man loved Lazarus. But some are saying maybe what we would say. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? But then through the tears, that rage of Jesus, that brings him almost to a center ring to face up to death. He enters that ring against that old mocking enemy. Jesus comes to the tomb. It's a cave and there's a stone that's lying against it. Jesus says, take away the stone. Martha says, Lord, by this time it's going to stink. He's been dead for four days. 
Love maybe is a perfume, but death stinks. He's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? You would see what God is really like if you believe that I am his son. But you have to believe. So they take away the stone. Jesus lifts up his eyes and he speaks to God as a son does to his father. Father, I thank you that you have heard me, heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on the account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. We're about to see a prayer answered in the face of death. And the point is that those around this event, so in some way that includes us as well as we read the story this morning, everybody around is going to have to say, well this, this is from God. That's who it's for. It's for the people here around. This is from God. Then Jesus shouts out, Lazarus, come out. Something unbelievable happens in this scenery. Something powerful. Something ancient. Whatever voice spoke the whole cosmos into being in the first place speaks out again here today. It shouts it suddenly rushes into the, the dead body of Lazarus. R.C. Sproul puts it like this. Lazarus's heart began to beat again. Nerve impulses began to race throughout his body. And his rotting putrefying flesh became whole and healed. If it's not a wee bit silly to add. I would say that this is the point when Jesus punches the ugly face of death right in the nose, that mocking voice is shut up. Death is shushed. Lazarus's ears, they, they recognize this voice of Jesus. And before Lazarus knows what's happening, he's up. Lazarus, the man who had died, comes out. Still with his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth, Jesus says, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews who had come with Mary and had seen what he did believed in Jesus. But some of them went to the religious leaders and told them what Jesus had done. Because they suddenly knew what was at stake. People might start believing what Jesus says about himself. And if they do, he's going to change the whole world. And actually, it doesn't suit us to change our world, does it? We want our life to stay the way it is. In fact, straight after this, they plot to kill Jesus. In fact, they plot to kill Lazarus as well. The man who's been ill and has died, he can't catch a break. Poor Lazarus, they keep coming after him. Because of course, Lazarus is pretty strong evidence. That Jesus is who he says he is. Jesus would himself die. The Bible says he did that because he took upon himself our destiny. Our destiny is death. That's it. We don't deserve more life than we've been given. Why would we think we do? Unless God has put something in us. That makes us hope for that. 
something that tells us there is more. And unless God then proved that it was true, that there is more, the point of Lazarus' illness was not death. It wasn't even his resurrection. The point was Jesus himself. Lazarus would actually go on to die again physically. The proof about who Jesus really is, is the fact that Jesus himself rose from his death, physically, historically, in our history books. Jesus would not die again. Jesus doesn't just give resurrection and life. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. This morning we've seen this amazing story together. Some of us are maybe sick and we're feeling a bit too familiar with the death that we've been thinking about. Some of us are like Mary. We love Jesus, but we're heartbroken. We're mocked by the brokenness that's in this world. Some of us are maybe trying to shut Jesus up like the Jews were. Some of us know know what it's like to follow Jesus, like the disciples. But we need to trust him again with the uncertainty in front of us. All of us, like Martha, need that spiritual conversation with Jesus. It's personal. And definitely all of us, in our souls, we need to hear Jesus' voice. The voice that shouts into the depths of our being. The voice that shouts, I am the resurrection and the life. And we need to let that question bounce around in our hearts. That question that Jesus asks us, and there we answer it. Do you believe this? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you this morning for this episode in the life of Jesus that we can get a hold of this morning, that we can grasp tightly, that we want to believe. Father, you know each of our circumstances. You know those of us for the, that this is just too personal, that there's so many things that we're, we're struggling with, that we're seeing around us those uh, powers of illness and death that keep shouting at us. Father, we thank you for Jesus and his words that he is the resurrection and the life. And we pray that his voice would be louder than any other voice in our lives. Lord, help us to believe these words. In Jesus' name, amen.